Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Hello, hello. Good morning. Thank you, Karn. I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. That's a great Bible. Um, what, uh, what Karn read out of. It's good to see you guys. Man, I'm grateful for the rain, but I'm glad that it stopped. Because uh, it's uh, it's good good to be uh, good good to be together, and I am grateful for uh, for those of you who are online who are also also joining us. Uh, welcome, welcome. Um, it is a it is a privilege for me to get to continue the series this morning in in Jonah. You know, and and speaking of life group, we were talking this week in our life group. Like, man, this book like it's this this crazy this crazy little story of this uh, misunderstood. Really, it's actually a misunderstood uh, book, right? But of this uh, this grumpy, self-centered prophet of uh, of, of God um, that uh, that is sent to a people he doesn't like, and uh, the whole book being about God's un, un, just just mercy. He just it's just gracious all over the place to everybody. It just feels like man, what a what a what a time for us to be looking at this book. I mean, anytime you open the Word of God, it's instructive. It's helpful. Um, it, it, it will adjust our hearts. But I, I want to encourage you as we're going through Jonah, I, I want you to lean in and maybe read it. It's a small book. Like read it and come along with us because I really do believe that there is something that the Spirit is wanting to say to the church, wanting to say to our church. Um, and I believe that that's the case this morning. So uh, as, a, as the saying goes, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And uh, my prayer is, uh, Father, that you would Bless your word and let your word stand and let it accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish. In Jesus' name. The church said amen. Amen. So hey, if you have not been with us, and maybe uh, the book of Jonah, you, you may be familiar with it. Maybe the only thing you know about it is like a whale swallowed some guy. It's really, really kind of strange. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version to kind of catch you up to where we are today in, uh, in the story. Um, as Nick mentioned last week, uh, this is not the first time that we see Jonah in, in the Bible. Uh, he actually is, he actually is uh, talked about in the book of 2 Kings. It's the first time that he appears uh, prior, prior, to this, uh, prior to this book. And, and uh, in, in that chapter, we see him giving a word, of, a word of actually blessing and expansion to a wicked king. <laughs> kind of strange. Um, the, the Bible tells us that Jeroboam II, the, 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 the king that was uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel at that time, the time of Jonah, uh, Jonah actually, actually prophesies that the, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, their, their borders would expand and, and kind of flourishing would happen. And, uh, and the Bible is pretty clear. It doesn't tell us, it doesn't say that he blesses that king and gives that word because uh, God was particularly proud of Israel's behavior or that he had a particularly soft spot in his heart for a wicked king. <laughs> Uh, it actually tells us that it actually tells us that God uh, God did that because he he didn't want Israel's name to disappear from the earth, and that he saw that his people were greatly afflicted and that there was no one to help. And so here you have this guy Jonah. His experience is he is uh, he's sent to a wicked king from his own country to prophesy expansion and blessing at at that time. Jonah, in a sense, gets a front row seat to God's mercy to his own people that didn't deserve it. He, he's an instrument of grace to his own people who deeply did not deserve it. 
And, and, and we fast forward to the beginning of this book uh, in, in Jonah. Uh, God shows up again. Once more, he, he asks Jonah to speak on, on, on his behalf, right? This prophet to go uh, this time outside of Israel to a, as, as Nick covered the first week, a legitimately, like, objectively horrific, historically horrific uh, people, and, and to declare, uh, to declare the, the, the word over them that they should turn, to cry out against this great city Nineveh in the, in, in the, uh, in the empire of Assyria, that they should turn from their wickedness, uh, that they should turn from their wickedness or God would destroy them. So Here's the thing, Jonah wants nothing to do with that. He does not want to go as, we, as we've been looking at. So he, I like how Karn put it from the, story, the Jesus Storybook Bible, that he, he decides to head, head, to, the, head to a ship and, and buy a ticket to not Nineveh, please. Like anywhere, I am not going to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. There's no way that I want to go to, to, to Nineveh. So he, he goes down, gets on a boat, heads out, uh, and this storm hits, like, this, this, this storm hits. In God's kindness, as Nick talked about last week, in God's kindness, he sends a storm to stop Jonah in his tracks, to stop him in his tracks, and it gives him an opportunity to repent. Gives him an opportunity to repent. Last week, we saw how this self-centered, entitled, and moody man of God was completely outloved by the godless sailors who were trying to save his life. I mean, at one point when it became apparent that the storm was actually his fault, was Jonah's fault, the sailors, they, 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 they look at him, they're like, well, what should we do? Like, what have you done? What, what, what should we do? And, 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 and the reality is Jonah's busted. He's busted, man. Like, he's been found out, and, and he responds, and, and his response, man, I, I, can, I can imagine him being kind of fatalistic or mopey in his response. Um, it's like, yeah. He's like, dang it, I, I, this is my fault. Just, you know, just throw me over, just throw me over. I, I, guess, I guess I'll die. I, I guess I'll die. Man, I, I, knew, I knew something like this was going to happen. This is just my luck. Uh, let, let's just get this over with. I ran away from God. This is what I get. There's no reason for you to die. Just, just throw me over. Let's get this over with. The crew looks at him and says, are you nuts? We're not going to kill you. Grab an oar, dude. Row. They plead and they beg with God. They, they're, they're, they're leaning in. They're trying to row as hard as they can. Jonah is not. And, and, and they're like, when they realize that all of their effort to rescue them from the storm that God sent is not going to work, they, they finally relent and they say, okay, we're going to throw you in. And they're like, oh, please, God, please, please, please forgive us for this guy. Do not let this come upon us. This is apparently, this is apparently what you want. So, so it's not, not it, not my fault. Like, we're going, to throw, we're going to throw this guy in. They throw him in, and the storm subsides immediately. And this is where we pick up the story this week in chapter 2. I'll be, reading from, I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Meanwhile, the Lord provided or appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of the underworld, I cried out for help. You have heard my voice. You had cast me into the depths of the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounds me. All your strong waves and rushing water passed over me. So I said, I have been driven away from your sight. Will I ever again look on your holy temple? Waters have grasped me to the point of death, and 
and the deep surrounds me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head at the base of the undersea mountains. I have sunk down to the underworld. Its bars held me with no end in sight, but you brought me out of the pit. When my endurance was weakening, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those deceived by worthless things, idols, those lose their chance for mercy, loving kindness. But me, I will offer a sacrifice to you with a voice of thanks. That which I have promised, I will pay. Deliverance or salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Neat story, right? <laughs> so listen, let me just say, for, this for the modern reader, this passage raises all sorts of kind of critical questions. As Nick said the first week, if I believe, and I do, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the fish is not really that big of a deal. So I want to I challenge you, I want to challenge you this morning to listen to the story, to hear it at face value, because we bring our modern lens to the, to, to the Bible. The Bible is not really concerned with explaining to us advanced biology. Its concern is to teach us who God is and how he relates to us as people. So I want to challenge you, set, set the questions aside for a second. We can talk about them later. God's not afraid of questions. His word's not afraid of questions. We'd love to talk about those questions. But I want to invite you to hear the story. I want you to hear the message, the truth that's represented and told through, 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 through this passage. Can we do that? So we're going to take a look at the nature of, and the blessing of repentance. Repentance, man, that can, if you grew up in the church like I did, that's a kind of a scary word. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about, we're going to talk about that. In this passage this morning, we're going to take a closer look at that, and we're going to see that what looks like death, what looks like death, and in some ways is death, actually gives great life to us. Great, great life to us. So we're going to look at a few different things. The first thing that I want to point out is something that Nick mentioned last week and reiterate and build upon is that repentance is way more than remorse. Okay, so a lot of you guys know that uh, I'm from rural Ohio. Whoop, whoop, I don't know. No, 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 no resounding, yay, Ohio. So I grew up, I grew up in like the sticks, like, you know, and in a place where I grew up, like there was plenty of things to do. Not, no, <laughs> there, there was not. There was not plenty of things to do. There were plenty of things because of that that you could get in trouble doing uh, as, a, as a teenager. And, uh, and, and, and I did some of those things. Um, one of those things that I'm not particularly proud of is uh, what I would do, and I'm, I'm my own children here. I'm glad they're looking at iPads. Um, is that sometimes I, in the middle of the night, me and some friends, we would, we would, drive, to, <laughs> we would drive to a house of someone that was a classmate drive into the driveway, drive onto their yard, stop in the middle of the yard, put the car in park, put the car in the first gear, slam on the gas, and weave all over their yard. That's really stupid, isn't it? That's really stupid. I mean, does that sound like fun? I, no, it was, I mean, like, come on. Like, but I, I did it. Like, I totally did it. So one night I did this. I was out with some friends. We, were, we did this a number of different times. Little did I know that somebody on the second floor, out of a bedroom window, saw my car. So this was Saturday night. I can remember this, like, I can remember this clear as day. Like, Sunday, the next day, 
Uh, it was after church because, you know, hey, uh, you know, go to church. You know, Saturday night, you're driving through yards. Sunday morning, you go to church. You know, that's how it works. And uh, I, I, remember, I remember I was taking a nap because, I mean, I was, I was tired from driving through so many yards the night before. And uh, I can remember the, uh, I remember getting woken from my peaceful slumber by the thundering voice of my father. Sean, I just got a call from somebody. They said that they saw a car that looked just like yours driving through their yard last night. Do you know anything about that? No, you got to keep it. I was asleep, man. <laughs> and I woke up to my, to my dad, and my dad did not mess around. Uh, dad, if you're listening, thank you. Um, he, he, he did not mess around, and, and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, the adrenaline's flowing. I'm like, I'm busted. I am busted. I'm trying to think of what am I going to say? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What, what am I going to do? I'm starting to stutter, and he said, don't you lie to me. I'll go look at that car. That's the thing. My dad was like a detective. He would figure this stuff out. I knew I was, I, I knew there was no way out of this, and I was just like, okay, I did it. I did it. I did it. I know it was stupid. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I did, I, ah. Okay, show of hands, how many of you in here think I was contrite of heart and super sorry for what I had done the night before? Smart room, smart group of people. I was, not, I was, not, I was scared. To, I, was, I was embarrassed because it really is stupid. I'm embarrassed to even tell you that I did it and I was 16. I was frustrated that I got caught. I was angry at whoever it was that saw me, like it was their fault. And, and I was absolutely, the most thing, I was terrified about what my, ga, what my dad was going to do to me. I was absolutely, I was absolutely terrified. You know, Jonah, from, from the story last week, he gets busted as well. And, uh, and what we see, his initial response, I mean, what we can agree to at this point, he is not a picture of repentance. He gets busted, right? We're going to see in this story, during this passage, in this prayer, there's something that's starting to change in his heart. That, that, that is repentance, that looks like repentance. It's the beginning of repentance. We're going to talk a little bit about what that is. But, but this is not what the Bible is talking about, just getting busted and being scared about the consequences, right? Like we can, we're free, and a mentor used to say, you're free to make your choices, but you're not free to choose your consequences. That's, a, that's, that's, a, that's very true. Um, so another thing about repentance, if, if, if we like, it's not, it's not just remorse, but repentance begins with embracing reality, reality. Tim Keller in his book on Jonah points out that the author of Jonah wants us to see that Jonah is in a process of descending. He's getting worse. He goes down to Joppa. He's in obedience. He's, sin. He's in sin. He goes down to Joppa, down into a ship, down into the depths of a ship. And now with being tossed into the depths of the sea, he is swallowed by a fish and he goes down to the very depths of the sea, a place that is literally synonymous with the realm of death in the, in the story. You know, sin, sin, it will distort your view of reality. It really will. Uh, people throw around the idea of truth. The Hebrew understanding of truth, I love it. You've probably heard me say it again. Hebrew is such a concrete language. Truth has more to do with like, it's almost like a rock, it's true. It's sound. It's like a foundation. It's not just a mental abstraction, right? That reality is a truth. It's solid. It's not a mental abstraction. And in our day, by the way, that, that, that what I just said is under attack. 
reality is what people say it is or what they feel that it is or, 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 or a construct of what we believe versus objectively outside of us. There is a truth. There is a reality. It starts with God and his kingdom because guess what? All, he was here before all of this. We are built on him. That was not in my notes. <clears throat> Listen, sin will get into our hearts and into our minds. It will distort how we think. It will distort and move us away from, away from reality. We'll start thinking that different people don't like us. We'll start thinking, we'll do all kinds of crazy things in our heads. It will distort, it will distort you. That's why the, the, uh, the, the, uh, it's like a poison in a sense. It clouds your judgment. That's why the, the, in the book of Proverbs, it says to guard your heart for out of it flow all the springs of life. Why is that? That's a statement about protecting uh, and being on guard against sin because it will distort you. That's a verse about God's kindness, to, in a sense, to, to, to us. So God brings us to the end of ourselves. He, he, has, to, he has to do that. Part of, part of embracing reality is bumping up against the end of yourself. Jonah is forced to acknowledge reality and that God has treated him deservingly. That God has, quote, cast me into the depths of the heart of the seas. Waters have grasped me to the point of death and the deep surrounds me. The dude is in a fish under the, under, under, under the water. Like, he, he, he gets it. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe, I, he's, he's a, maybe a dense guy, but at least he's starting to actually realize this is where I am at. This is the reality of where I am. And God, God has, has placed me here because of my disobedience. Before Jonah has any hope of ascending out of the situation, he's got to be led to the point of acknowledging his condition. A former mentor of mine also used to say, maturity is adjusting to reality. I like that. Maturity is adjusting to reality. That is also where repentance begins. Embracing reality. The reality of our condition, the reality of what we've done and where we find ourselves we know that Jonah is in the process of repenting because having been stopped in God's mercy, Jonah stops denying where he is. Jonah was avoiding where he was, sort of like, la, 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 I can't hear you, God. Nineveh, what Nineveh? What's a Nineveh? Never heard of Nineveh. Deny, avoid, don't acknowledge reality, Jonah. At all costs, don't stop, just go to Tarshish, man. God stops him. This morning, I wanna, I wanna, before we move forward, I, I just want to pause. It's like, man, what are you running from? In your own heart, in your own mind, what, what would you rather not deal with? What do, you, what do you need to confess? What do you need to face? What feels like death? What feels like... <gasps> There's life on the other side of it, as we're going to see. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a conversation with a coworker that you need to have. Maybe it's a conversation with a family member that, where there's an offense Maybe it's uh, something, you know, like I, I, know, I, know, uh, I know someone that recently said, you know what, I, I've become like way too political on my social media feed. I am not becoming a loving person. I see this in my own heart, my own life, uh, and I need to take a break. That whatever it is, whatever it is, what is it that God is drawing you and bringing you to, 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 to face? The first step in repentance and toward life is always to acknowledge the truth. God always meets us in reality. He does not meet the fake you. He meets the real you. And that's a blessing. So God brought Jonah to the end of himself and the end of his resources. 
He couldn't buy a ticket out of this. Addicts will tell you, they'll describe it as hitting rock bottom. And people who have hit that bottom and turned to God will tell you it's the best thing that could have ever happened to them. I really like how Jesus put it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, the problem is, though, our opinion of our abilities and our strengths can hold us back and delay our repentance. Speaking about how we think we can add somehow to Christ's sufficiency, Brendan Manning writes, quote, Our approach to the Christian life is as absurd as the enthusiastic young man who had just received his plumber's license and was taken to, to see Niagara Falls. He studied it for a minute and said, I think I can fix this. We tend to not understand how much we really need and how desperate our situations are without him. We really are desperate. Jonah couldn't, but for many of us, our conditions don't seem that dire. They, 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 just, they just don't. The, the feeling passes away. The tug or the prick of the conviction of the Holy Spirit or the stress of the moment, it passes. You get a reprieve, and it's just, it wasn't that big of a deal. It is a big deal. Whatever it is, is a big deal. One of the ways that we see, that they see this reflected in our culture and within the modern church is actually how we talk about sin sometimes. We talk a lot today, and I, I do too, about brokenness and being broken. So, sometimes, it, it, you know, in some ways it can be discussed almost like a badge of honor. Like, I, you know, I am broken. It's okay to be broken. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Like, I, I am entirely, I'm not entirely against using that kind of language. I use it myself. I did grow up in a church where it was kind of like, just put a smile on, everything's fine. Like, that's not, that's not okay either. That's, that's not reality either. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that we go back to that or that talk of brokenness is wrong. But, but when I look at the, at the full kind of biblical picture of, of, of how, Jesus, uh, how Jesus deals with this, I mean, uh, you know, you see him soothing pain and binding up wounds and healing the sick. But, but predominantly, speaking of ourselves as broken, while not wrong, is not completely the accurate biblical picture. Human beings were not just broken, we were dead. We were dead in our transgressions. As Jonah says, I have sunk down to the underworld. Its bars held me with no end in sight. This is not a statement of being broken. This is a statement of being dead. Author Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, puts it this way. Christ was, not, Christ was sent not to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people, or to inspire bored people, or spur on lazy people, or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. Why does this matter? Why, why does it matter? It matters because the hope attached to each. If I'm broken, the hope is that I can be put back together with some self-help epoxy. But if I'm dead, my only hope is resurrection. Jonah has this hope. The next verse he says, but you brought me out of the pit. Colossians 2.13 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. All our transgressions. There's no... He doesn't quantify that. He doesn't, it's all. It's everything. Brothers and sisters, for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, 
this is your new reality. You are no longer dead, but alive. If there are places in you living according to the old life, and for all of us, that's true. They don't need to just be mended as much as resurrected. And God is ready and willing to do that for each and every one of us on this journey until we are fully made whole and fully. A few months ago, I was uh, in my backyard and I was reflecting on, I was reflecting on Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a great passage where it says, When I consider your heavens, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. Jesus comes right up to us. He's here this morning, by the way. The maker of all things will come right up to you and visit with you. His desire is to do that. And and it goes on, he says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. I, I was sitting there, and I was just absolutely floored again. I was floored by two things. Two thoughts. The first one was that, man, we are so deeply treasured. We are so deeply treasured. And the second, on all honesty, and according to just about every objective criteria that anyone can think of, I am completely undeserving of that unrelenting affection. What, what, are, what is man that you are mindful of him? What, what are you, what, are, what am I that God should regard us, but his desire is to come right up to you? It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. His, I, I was sitting there thinking about how I, I was holding these two things that were happening at the exact same time, realizing I was just so deeply pursued and loved and cared for, and I have just drank so much from his mercy and at the same time, what was coming to my mind was all the ways I had failed, the pit that I had come from, the, the things that I had done, both in my past and the week before even, like just all of those things at the same time. And I realized, what a wonder, what a wonder to be fully known, to be guilty, to be little, to be of no consequence, and yet the creator of all things comes to us and says, you're of great consequence to me. I love you. I want to be with you, regardless of what you have done, though you have done it. It's a brilliant and amazing thing to be able to hold those two tensions at the same time. And it produces in us a gratitude and a warmth. That's what it produced in me of like, ah, my father loves me. The real me, not the fake me, not the me on Instagram, the real me, the real you. This is not just reserved for the guy up here teaching behind a wooden thing. This is the truth of the gospel. We must turn to God. We must turn towards him. Jonah begins to do this. He says, quote, When my endurance was weakening, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple, those deceived by worthless things lose their chance for mercy. But me, I will offer a sacrifice to you with a voice of thanks. That which I have promised I will pay, deliverance, salvation 
belongs to the Lord. I love that phrase. In a sense, that verse, some commentators say that deliverance belongs to the Lord. That's like, that's like the, the, the center of the whole Bible. Part of the reason is the word there, deliverance. It can also be translated as salvation. Guess, guess what? It, guess what it says in Hebrew? Yeshua. Yeshua. That's Jesus's, that's, that's essentially a derivative of Jesus's name. This is a statement. Yeshua, Yeshua belongs to Yahweh. Yeshua is our salvation. Right here, right in the center of the story is Jesus at the middle of the depths of where Jonah finds himself. Something else, though, that we're going to see in the story that Jonah shows us is that repentance is a lifelong journey home. It's not a one-time deal. I love this story because, as I said at the beginning, God's just so gracious. He's gracious to everybody. By the end of this book, we're going to see clearly that there is absolutely no difference between people. We are all the same. All need in the mercy of God. And God is willing and he is wanting and he is waiting to extend it to all people. I, I won't preach somebody else's sermon, but we're going to see in chapter 4 that while Jonah begins to repent here, he does. there's a turning that happens here, declaring that salvation belongs to the Lord alone, promising then to do what he, what he says that he's going to do because repentance does have an outworking of action. My life will be different in response. We follow Jonah and we see that he's furious by the end of the story. He is really angry at the character of God, that God actually forgives these wicked people in his mind and in his sight. You know, Jonah may have changed his mind and went to the field that God told him to go to, but his heart and character are still not like God's. He's not fully home and at home with God. He's offended by God's nature. This is, by the way, exactly like the older son in the prodigal story that Jesus tells in Luke 15, where the older son's angry with the father for forgiving this no good for nothing brother of his. There is still a part of Jonah's heart that needs resurrection. Understanding the Greek word for repentance is super helpful. Uh, metanoia, it, it, it really, it means a changing of the mind, a transformational turning. It's not just, a, not just the idea of a mental shift, but an entire kind of change in trajectory. But I also think that if, if, if we don't look at the Hebrew, we actually lose something kind of beautiful also about the word that adds some texture to our understanding of what repentance means. Repent in Hebrew means to turn back or to return. It's used when Israel returns to, to Yahweh after sinning. And being, and, and being kind of off, off track. It's also, by the way, used of when Israel returns to the land after exile. Returning to the land is a repentance. There's a turning back. David in Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He causes my soul to repent. Your English translation says that he restores my soul. That's not wrong. But the Hebrew, the Hebrew, the concrete is that, is that David is a shepherd and he is imagining the sheep himself as the sheep who has wandered off and, and God comes and gets him and brings him back, restores his soul, causes his soul to return all of him, 
over and over and over again because sheep wander off and you have a good shepherd. To repent is to return each part, each part. And Jesus is at work. The word tells us that he will finish the work he started in us. Our job is to remain open to him, to respond to him, to be, respond in obedience to his grace, his kindness. Prior to the start of Jesus' ministry, God sent John the Baptist, this crazy guy out in the middle of the, middle of the desert, who was screaming his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. I always thought about him like, okay, there's a, kind of a weird guy out in the desert. He's screaming stuff. Why are so many people like running, like it, let running out to him? Like it's the coolest thing that they've ever seen before. Ever, I mean, ever think about that? Especially with the word repent. Like I remember one time in a, in a, in a youth group, I don't know if I've shared this story before, but I, I remember preaching on repentance and I, I asked this room of teenagers who all had largely grown up in church. I'm like, hey, when I say the word repent, what's, what's your immediate emotional response? And one brave young guy in the back, he's like, I want to get up and run out of the back of the room. Because it's like a scary, it can be, it can be kind of like a, this, this scary word. But all of these people were flocking to John. They were coming out in droves to hear what John was saying. Why? If you think, if you think like a Hebrew here for a second, what he's declaring is that the way to return is open. There's an opportunity for you to come home. There's an opportunity for you to connect with God. The way was shut. There was no voice crying out for hundreds of years. Israel was under oppression and now a voice that's saying, the way the door is opening up, we can return home. God is coming. The Messiah is on his way. Repent, return, return. He goes on and he says, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruits worthy of returning home. If you're going to return home, if you're going to live in God's house, if you're going to draw near to him, guess what happens in his house? People share what they have. People stop judging one another. Love is the ultimate ethic. We lay down our swords. We repent. We bear fruit worthy of returning home. That is God's invitation to us. Jonah's response this week is the beginning of a repentant. But we'll see in a few weeks that Jonah is still holding on to an idolatry, his own idea of how God should be, of how he thinks God should behave, of what God should do with his own mercy. It's God's mercy. He can do with it what he wants. He doesn't need our permission. He doesn't realize, Jonah doesn't realize that he is literally who he's prayed about. Those deceived by worthless things and idols. They'll lose their chance if they're not careful. They don't turn. They don't let those things go. They'll lose their chance at this pursuing love, this affection. It's coming for you. But if you can't let go of the things that you're holding on to, you'll, you'll miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. So this morning I want to remind us that repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong work of returning, to turn to God, to allow him to pick you up and bring you back. To allow you, to allow him to bring, pick you up and bring you back. 
to be conformed to the image of Jesus, allowing him to confront the idols in our hearts, the idols of comfort or of politics or of career or of needing to be right. We turn to him and he causes our souls to repent. Today, church, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If he's speaking to you about a thing, a specific area of your life, maybe it's a habitual sin. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, I don't know what it is. Fill in the blank. It can be so many things. If he's speaking, don't harden your heart. If you turn to him, there's life. There's resurrection. Patrick, you guys can join me back up here. You know, as, uh, as we close this morning, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm grateful for the gift of repentance, for the gift of being able to return, for turning and opening myself up, of letting go and confessing and agreeing with God that he's, he's right. There's a reality. Whatever this thing is, it's not good for me. It hasn't been good for me. And I can turn to come home. Home is way better. With God, it's way better. Why, why hold on to the sticks and the, and the slop when I can come home, when you can come home? I'm grateful for that gift. I'm grateful for the gift of repentance, but I'm also really, really grateful and even more grateful that someone greater than Jonah is here with us, that there's someone in our midst that promises to be with us and is here now. Wherever two or more are gathered, he is in our midst. And he is greater than Jonah. And his name is Jesus. The passage says, The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Jesus draws a direct parallel to Jonah's three days in the belly of the fish to his three days in the grave. Jesus, this is the only prophet, by the way, that Jesus draws a direct comparison to. Kind of crazy guy to pick, right? But he does. When we look closely at this, we look really closely at what's happening. We see God's mercy and pursuit his active pursuit of this rebel, this active pursuit of the disobedient, the active pursuit of the heathen, the active pursuit of the good person who's also a heathen. (laughs) The author of Jonah says that God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Another way to translate that word is appointed a fish, planned for this fish to swallow Jonah. God in his sovereignty lined everything up for that fish to be there. In the same way, God provided and appointed the cross and the grave to swallow up his only begotten son for the forgiveness of our sins and from the depths of the water and from the depths of the grave, the declaration of salvation belongs to the Lord alone wrung out. And when that is declared, both the fish and the grave vomit up their contents. 
the fish could no longer contain Jonah and the grave could not contain Jesus. Death could not handle the Son of God. Its stomach was too weak. With violence and surrender, death had to do in reverse what it had not done before. Vomit up the victor. Oh, death, is where, where is your sting? The victory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who right now today resurrected, the resurrection and the life will come right up to you wherever you find yourself. You may not be in a literal fish, but you may be in your own sunken state. Whatever that is, he comes to you in mercy. The scripture, Paul tells us, Paul tells us, he says that the Father, the Father is the Father of mercies. He tells us that mercies are new every day. He does not run out of the stuff. I don't care what you have done. Listen to me. I don't care where you find yourself. Today is an opportunity for you. Right now is an opportunity with no buts and no qualifiers. If you have never responded to Jesus before, today is a day to be raised again. And if you know Jesus and there are parts right now in your own heart that you're holding on to, that you know God is saying, son, daughter, give me that. Give me that. Would you trust him? He is trustworthy. He sent his son to die for you, to be raised again for you, to show you that he is trustworthy. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.